Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy film that we just saw a little while ago. We've, we've since had dinner. We were hungry. What can I say? Um, we saw this at, again, the IMAX experience. The 3D experience. And again, I enjoyed, you know, it isn't the huge IMAX, but it's big enough to be bigger and enjoyable. And again, the 3D was well used. It wasn't hit you over the head or throw debris at you just to prove it's 3D. Yeah. But nicely woven in to the film. Now, before we go any further, let's be upfront and say we're going to spoil the heck out of this. If you haven't seen it, go see it or hold this episode off till you've watched it on Blu-ray, DVD, whatever. Uh, we're not going to hold anything back. We're even going to talk about the amazing end credit scene for all of the, what, 20 seconds it was. Um, but speaking of the 3D, the effects, the visual, this is a movie that had five lead characters, two of which were computer generated. Yeah. And unbelievably well done. I mean, they were very, they're, they're there. They are on set for all intents and purposes. Uh, Rocket and Groot were just breathtaking as, uh, you know, as to how well they were done. Well, and Groot, I mean, I wasn't quite sure what to expect from Groot, but he was a character with a sensitive soul that they revealed through those effects. Like when he bent down to a little girl and opened his palm and had it grow a flower for her. Some of that was in the writing, but there were other times where just the shoulder shrug or the delivery of the I am Groot line, it was as much the voice acting, the animation, and the way they used the character. Yeah. It was just well done all the way around. Um, I can certainly understand why fans really enjoy Groot as a character. Yeah. You you would think the character who says three words would not be one that you just want to see what does he do next, but he is. And there were a couple of scenes like when he lights up an area, it's like, wow, that was that was just amazing. It was beautifully done and I have to give Star Lord credit when somebody says something to the effect of how'd he do that? I think the answer is I am Groot. Yeah. Well, and Rocket Raccoon, or just Rocket as he's known there, uh, had the expressions, had the body language, had the action and stuff. So it's not just that they did Groot, but I mean, exactly. They have shown with this movie they could take any character and do it very believably. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to jump, because it's it's disconnected from the rest of the movie, but just to jump to the end credits for a minute. Unlike some where it's like, what's the next movie going to be? I mean, they went into this thinking, we'll do a Guardians of the Galaxy, we'll see how it does. Shortly before it got released, they said, you know what, we're going to do a second one, we're doing a cartoon, this is working. But I don't think they had a game plan for a second movie plot yet, which is fine. Mm -hmm. So instead of teasing that in the the, the, the after credits scene, they basically had a scene at the collector's place, uh, Benicio Del Toro's character, 
uh, one of the elders of the universe. And we see Cosmo, the, the, the Russian's dog in the spacesuit, who is, again, from the comics and stuff. We also see a character I hadn't expected, and again, it was amazingly well done. It was Howard the Duck. And for something, literally, that, that credit scene, that end credit scene was, what, 30 seconds or something? Yeah, about that. I mean, it was short. It was fun. It was, it was cool. But to go to the trouble of, of doing a whole other character for that, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they're testing the waters, could they do another Howard the Duck film? And I think they can. Certainly, I think they could do it believably with the effects. It just comes down to, do they have the story? Yeah. But, I mean, what kind of, of movie review would this be if we start out by jumping to the end credits and just stop at that? You know, Let's talk about the film itself. Okay. The use of the music was beautifully done. It was. I mean, that hooked-on feeling that they had in the trailer was fantastic. I had looked up the song before we went. Yes. We had been discussing, you know, now we know this is from our childhood. It's a song we know and love. Okay, from our childhood. It's a little before our childhood. Uh, more in mind than yours, I guess, is, is the point. And it's not the kind of music we were really listening to at that point, I guess. I think we were more kids of the 80s than the 70s. I remember music from the 70s. Well, because there were a lot of 70s yes. stations. Yes. But, again, Peter Quill uh, was was really more of a child of the late 80s, early 90s. And mm-hmm. this music was based on stuff his mom liked and trying to get him on that yes. generation of music. So him having essentially a precursor to a Walkman yes, and having, you know, the, the mixtape or whatever, it gave the touch point to Earth and it gave the movie a natural soundtrack. And again, Hooked on a Feeling uh, and some of the other songs they picked were just iconic songs, catchy songs, popular songs, obviously. You know, and for a reason. They're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like when they go into a movie scripting and that whole process with a here are the songs that that we want to kind of color the movie with and integrate them organically into it versus well we got this film we got a spot where you know we ought to have a a a song playing i wonder what it'll be well yeah and none of these songs were they didn't feel forced like we have to promote this band so whether the song fits or not we're going to shove this in Every song felt like it flowed with the story and it flowed with the characters. Well, in in some cases, I think these songs help inspire aspects of the script. You know, from what I was was reading on one of the things you'd printed out, uh, the director, he had gone through uh, the the, the Billboard charts for the 70s, created this huge mix list, and just started whittling it down, got down to about 120 and as he was working on stuff, he would just play some of this, ooh, yeah, you know, and get into the into the mood. And it sounds like they were playing a lot of this on set to get them into the vibe. And, Which is a great idea. Well, and it worked because there was a sense both of, of chemistry amongst the actors, but also of being in the same mental space, even if their characters necessarily weren't. The, 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 the actors, the creative people, etc., it felt very cohesive. I mean, to me, this was very much a Star Wars for this generation of sorts. It was, and it was definitely a a team movie. It was people who came together, and whether they wanted to or not, they ended up working towards a common goal. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the things that intrigued me as I was watching the movie, and as most people have caught on by now, I'm not one who knows the story from the comic books. I have to pump you for information. Based on the trailer and the way they laid things out, having the uh, people who arrested them going through the Nova Corps, yeah. their profiles and stuff, and then suddenly they're out of jail and they're off on this mission, it felt from the trailer like maybe Novacor was asking them to do this because they were going off to save the universe. I'd gotten the same impression uh, from the trailer and stuff, and I was pleasantly surprised that was not the case here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it was very nice breakout jail. Well, you get the jailbreak, you get the, the forming of the team, the, the rites of passage the various ones go through, the are we going to stick together, are we not, you know, they, they hate each other kind of a thing and, until they don't. Yes. And earning one another's both respect and trust. Yeah. Becoming the family they are at the end. Yes. And the Nova Corps I thought was interesting in so much as the Nova character and, and the Nova Corps, which is kind of Marvel's equivalent to the Green Lanterns, interstellar cops. Okay. They played it here in this movie more as that planet's shield equivalent, whereas in the comics, these are guys who fly through space and are superheroes in their own right, mm -hmm. which we didn't really get here, mm -hmm. which kind of makes, gee, if they're going to do a Nova series or a movie later, a little harder, but one could always say, well, based on this, they beefed up their game. You yes. Know? Yes. And I'd love to see a Nova, you know, movie or whatever. I thought they were very well used here. And having that as kind of, again, an analog to S.H.I.E.L.D. and setting things up the way they did made this feel very much comfortable as a Marvel film, even though it's, for all intents and purposes, completely disconnected from the others. Yes. Sure, we'd seen the Collector in one of the end trailers, uh, end credit scenes, I guess, in uh, Cap or Avengers Cap, I think That's it was. right, I'd forgotten about that end scene. We had seen uh, Loki having the, the Tesseract thing, which was kind of like an, uh, a cosmic cube, and in this one... When they're they're revealing the Infinity Stone, which is the Infinity Gem in the comics, um, one of the images that was up there was of a cube. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, cosmic cube again, cosmic power and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the fact they didn't give away the, the 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 Infinity Gem in the trailer, and that a lot of the the really fun footage and clever ideas were were not revealed there. I loved. Yeah. I mean, when you've got Ronin's ship. Gee, if he touches down, he can destroy the planet sort of a thing. It's like, okay, let's not let him touch down. Got it? Good plan. How are we going to do that? Don't know. Okay. Uh, you've got all of the Nova Corps in their little fighter jet equivalent things. I wondered about the shape of those fighter jets at first. They were pretty, but I didn't get it until they started really using them. They linked it up like a, a net. Yeah. Surrounded the ship, and it's like, let's tow this puppy back up to space. They were told to form a blockade, and instead of a metaphorical shield and blockade, they formed a physical one. What I loved about that is it was reminiscent of the, the Battle of the Line in Babylon 5. It was reminiscent of the minefield in Deep Space Nine. Uh, it was also reminiscent of the Tholian web from the original Star Trek. 
it was new, it was different, it was unique, but it's got precursors and inspiration in those things. Mm -hmm. And after all of these films, all these space battles, all this stuff, to see something that was new, inventive, and just different, mm -hmm. uh, I was I was really pleased with that. There was no point in this movie where I'm thinking, okay, move it along. Yeah. It, it kept my attention the entire time. Again, we've talked about the two CG cast members, and, and frankly, there is grounds for them getting an Academy Award for acting, mm -hmm. and it going not just to the voice artist, but the whole damn, you know, creative team behind it. Because, mm -hmm. again, we've seen good stuff in um, uh, uh, The Lord of the Rings and, you know, other films like that. But I think this really took it beyond special effect into it is a character. Well, and I keep going back to Groot because with Rocket, I, I don't want to belittle what they did because what they did was so incredible. But all they had to do was maintain the shape of a raccoon and keep me believing it. Mm -hmm. But with Groot, the way they amazed me was when they said, now that box up there is 20 feet off the ground and somehow we have to get to it. And Groot went over there and like a tree, he grew before our very eyes. And it was believable. You're right, because with, with Rocket, we get the idea of what a raccoon character would look like. We can imagine it was very believably done. But uh, for effects, there's there's tons of challenges, and I don't want to diminish so that. There's so many details that they had to maintain, and he never went into looking like, oh, wait, they just goofed a detail. He was always so spot on. He never dipped into the uncanny valley. And Groot had the challenge of not only doing all of that as a tree, but as one that is changing shape, changing size, growing parts of him or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Some of the stuff they did just showed the fluidity of movement um, and some of the facial expressions, the, the yeah. study bottle language. You got to know him as a character and his attitude and stuff, even with his, his incredibly limited vocabulary. Groot leafing out. Groot wrapping his arms around the rest of the team and growing more branches and creating out of his body a physical shield to yeah. protect everyone else. And it was believable that the tree was growing and this was happening and it didn't look like a cheesy effect because they just kept and maintained what they'd done so well. Well, going back to when they first kind of introduce him and it's like, okay, bag him and, and he starts bagging, you know, uh, uh, Gamora Her. instead of Star-Lord. He's, he's the big, uh, you know, lovable lug or whatever, you know, he's, he, he's the muscle, maybe a little soft in the head and stuff. And it turns out not to be the case, but it, it builds up a persona almost instantly mm -hmm. that they do some fun stuff with. Well, and uh, his arms get chopped off and it's, what are you complaining about? You know, you'll grow more branches. Yeah, you can grow them back. That, that again, has been done on the comics and stuff a, a number of times. Um... Unless you, I guess, completely incinerate him at once, you can't get rid of him. You know, in addition to those two, we've got, you know, the three other leads, Star-Lord, Gamora, and, and da uh, Drax. And, you know, Drax was well set up, but I think more through exposition and implication than by really showing him as an amazing fighter. I felt he spent more time getting beaten up than beating up. But yeah. he had a, a character arc. He had some fun stuff. The literalist ad, uh, aspect of him was a lot of fun. It was. Uh, so so he did really well. 
Well, and again, going back to expectations set by the trailer versus what the movie did. In the trailer, he was described just like all of the others in the initial rundown of crimes and lineup as if Mm -hmm. he'd been arrested at the same time. Yes. And meeting him in the prison, it's like, okay, now the gang is complete. Yeah. You know that because you know who's who's in the team. Yeah. Whereas if you went in cold, knowing nothing, just movie starts playing. There are certain things I think would have would would have played a little differently. Well, and I didn't have the trailer in mind when we got to the theater, so I'm sitting there when they're arrested. I'm like one, two, three, four, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm like maybe I just forgot. Maybe it's only four people. And then we meet Drax in the prison. And I'm like, oh wait, no, I was right. It is five people. Okay, now I'm just confused. <laughs> Well, uh, Gamora, I thought, again, well-introduced, well-used. Zoe Solanda did an amazing job. Yeah. She is, I think, the the Nichelle Nichols of our era. I think so. She is doing more for uh, uh, women of color in space. She's done her natural skin tone. She's done blue in Avatar. Now she has done green. Um, And she's an amazing actress. And... I want to see her in more films. Well, and she manages to play these parts that are fierce and strong and capable with heart. With heart and different. Yes. You're not going to confuse Gamora with Uhura or her character over in uh, Avatar or any of the other things she's played. Whereas, you know, there are some actors who just play themselves. Yes. Um, And again, she, she... was kind of, I don't want to say the heart and soul of the team, but the moral center of the team. Definitely. Because they really kind of needed that. Yeah. Uh, including Star-Lord, Peter Quill. Well, and not to keep jumping to the end of the movie, but at the end of the movie when they're getting aboard the ship and one of the Nova Corps people is having serious doubts about these... It's like, we, we've cleared your criminal record, but don't break any more laws is kind of the... the yeah. Implication. Or not the implication. He flat out says something to that effect. Yeah. And, you know, Star-Lord says, you know, don't worry. I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on everyone. And he's like, really? You're going to keep them out of trouble? Yeah. You know, well, but well, you well, believe by this point that the combination of Star-Lord with Gamora as his second in command will be a good, honorable Which is team. funny because in the comics... He's more the moral center. She's a little more the, you know, maybe somebody needs to get killed or something kind of. And that goes with her assassin background that exactly. they set up and implied. But going to that line with the Nova Corpsman basically saying, you know, here's what we've done or whatever. He was a essentially a bit player. He was the guy who arrested him. He shows up throughout the movie. He, he was, was inc- great. Incredibly well used. Mm-hmm. He was the Coulson of the movie, if you will. The, yes. the Agent Phil Coulson type. Um, if they bring the Nova Corps back, I want to see this guy showing up again because he was the one. It's like, you know, we can let's trust this guy. He can save our bacon kind of a thing, you know, and even though it's like, yeah, this guy's a little bit of a loser. But yeah, I, but I don't believe anyone is entirely a loser. Yeah, no one's entirely bad. It's like, but do you think he'll help us? Yes. You know, he if he had said no, mm-hmm. the entire movie at that point should have turned out differently. Yes. Yes. You know, so again, well-used bit player, um, and again, goes to just overall good writing. Yeah, well, and he makes the comment to Star-Lord of, you know, I, I have a wife and a daughter. I'm grateful 
for what all of you did, and at the end of the movie, we see him go home to his wife and daughter, and their extras that we saw running across a bridge, fleeing earlier. Well, when we saw that scene, they're, they're, they've got this bridge, it's like held up through like a, a propulsion unit, it's like it's a, a, a hover bridge of some sort, maybe. It's very science fiction-y, high-tech, alien-ish bridge. Um, in the evacuated city. In the evacuated city. People are still running. It's a big city. It takes a while to evacuate. Yeah. Um, anyways, as they're doing that, the the thing is the uh, the attacking aliens, Ronan and company, are basically, you know, dive bombing kamikaze or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they had the shot such that I'm thinking, wow, they're dead. They're just, boom, you know, gonna going to get nailed. But, you know, one of the clever things they did is Rocket and the other people in the fighter crafts got down to the ground, pointed upwards, hovering up, and basically became stationary battle turrets or whatever. Yeah. You know, so they had some clever stuff, but it was also one of those, I see these two, I know I'm supposed to see these two, not just everybody running. Yes. You know, and it's like, well, should I know them from somewhere? Not to the point of, hey, wait a sec, I'm confused, but... But just enough that the camera made you register, these two are worth noticing. They pause for just long enough to to be noticeable, but not long enough to be how come. And Mm -hmm. then when it pays off later, it's like, wow, well done, guys. Yeah. You know, and again, it goes towards uh, redeeming the the band of of misfits, if you will. Mm -hmm. We get enough of, at the beginning, the origin of of Star-Lord, if you will. And it's not until much later, really near the end, where we get how come he calls himself Star-Lord. The minute, I mean, they, his mom dying early on, here's the, the, the present that doesn't get open for decades. Well, and we're, I wasn't at least clear on if he'd read the note, whether or not he'd open the present, if he'd read that note before. It seemed to be unsealed. He may uh, or may not, be not have. A, I'm assuming he didn't, but she had called him that. Yeah, and that's exactly it. I took it to have been a childhood nickname for mom. Yeah. The unopened present is just, you know, cliche. Yes. But the minute he's starting to open it, I'm like, you know, that's going to be another mixtape. Yeah, I saw that the moment she handed it to him because it was so similar in size to the Walkman and they'd been so focused on the Walkman in the hospital. I hadn't even thought about it at that point. I had. I feared she was just giving him more music, figuring last chance. It, for me, it played very well when it's like, okay, he's he's ready to move on. He's going to open that. Mm-hmm. We're near the end of the movie. You know, we're going to need another mixtape for the next film anyways. I mean, yeah. it, it, was, it worked out very well. Yeah. Well, and she was describing in the hospital bed, you know, your dad came in this flash of light, and then he runs out of the hospital, and this flash of light takes him. Now, what we get through the backstory and stuff is that Yondu had basically kidnapped him and such. Yes. And was going to take him back to his father, but wound up basically liking the kid and not doing that. Well, yeah, what I got from the conversation between Yondu and his second-in-command, I guess, was that he was hired to retrieve the kid mm-hmm. and decided dad was a impolite word. The kid deserved better than the dad is what it yeah. came down to. Yeah, and he liked the kid enough They wasn't taking him to dad after all, and he kept hold of him. What was interesting is Yondu is one of the original Guardians of the Galaxy from the comics back in the late 60s, early 70s. Hmm. It was basically about five characters who were the last of their race. 
trying to prevent, uh, you know, I forget who it was, uh, Korvac or somebody from wiping out other people, other races, you know, and it was, uh, Yondu of, I think, Alpha Centauri 4. It was Charlie 27 from a, a big, uh, gravity, heavy gravity planet. So he was short and squat. Then you had, uh, shoot, I'm forgetting the name, Martin X, which was kind of a crystalline diamond character. Um, Nikki, who was like, uh, like from Mercury or somewhere, had a flaming, you know, aspect and whatnot. And then, um, well, actually the original, I guess, uh, Star-Lord, or, no, was it Star-Lord or was it, uh, the one who knows or whatever. Um, again, I'm, it's been a while since I've read these, but having one of those original characters in the movie and actually as a father figure of sorts mm. to this Star-Lord made a lot of sense. It worked well. And it made me kind of look through the rest of, are we going to see some of the others in the background? They may have been there. I didn't notice them. Was fun to see Stanley having a little bit of a cameo again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all in all, they made a fun film. They, I think, did justice to the Abnett and Lanning era of um, Guardians of the Galaxy. The nowhere stuff straight out of the comics. Interesting, because I thought that was very interesting as a, a concept for a mining community and stuff. You've got this giant uh, stellar being or whatever, head the size of a small planet or something, who's dead, harvest it, mm-hmm. set up shop inside of it, which is what they did. And what was fun is in the comics, the um, the, the, the head of security there was Cosmo, a Russian space mm-hmm. cosmonaut dog, who was telepathic. So when we're going through the collector's place who set up shop there, and this is again Elder of the Galaxy who's a collector. Gee, I think comic fans can relate to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in one of the, the areas is a dog with a spacesuit. I'm like, ooh, Cosmo. He, of course, got a little bit of screen time also in the end credit scene. But the, the collector was well used, didn't get overplayed or whatever. It set up the, you know, who's vying for what. He gave the needed exposition for the reality gem, or the the power gem, which is one of the infinity stones, they call it. Making me wonder, are we going to see, I mean, I'm assuming one of the other ones, probably space or whatever, is the one that Loki had in those films. Mm. Leaving four unaccounted for, which could build up into the infinity gauntlet and, you know, who knows, for phase whatever of the Marvel movies, some really fun stuff. Mm -hmm. But... They they covered a lot of ground. It had that Star Wars aspect of planet hopping. Let's go have a little adventure here. Oh, we got to go over here, do stuff, go over there, do stuff. And planet destroying. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, quite frankly, it had a great arc for uh, Drax. Well, I think most of the characters had a good arc. I think Peter Quill grew and in, in, in matured. Most of them grew and matured, but Drax changed. Yeah, he did. He 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 reached new understandings. He found friends that were good people worth living for. He he got out of living just for revenge, but then the whole line of well, you know, there's still Thanos. Yeah, showed a little bit of a backslide. <laughs> yeah, he grew but didn't change. I guess or changed and didn't grow. One of the two. Um, the uh the ship, the Milano, was well used. I wish we could have seen a little gotten. A little better sense of of the layout yes. of it. We got the key areas. It was it was. Um, now, one thing that did intrigue me, I guess I'll say, is he seemed to be what 10, 12 years old when he was taken from Earth. Mm-hmm. 
He had one heck of a knowledge of Earth culture for someone who hadn't been back to Earth since he was 12. What do you think he had that was, would you think any of it was anachronistic? Well, he was talking about, you know, uh, turn on a black light and this would look like a such and such kind of painting. Um, That's fair. That's that, that one, would black light have been used at that point for kind of the CSI sort of a thing? And would he have known about the painter? That's fair. Most of the references, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kevin Bacon. Those I was... Those yeah. fit. Yes. But there were a few that it was just like, wow, he's got a vast knowledge of and going into adult culture. The painting one, yeah, I, I see your point. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, because it all resonated with us as audience. Well, and it's not clear that he had never been back. Well, um, Yondu implied it at the end. I don't know if he'd never been back or not back for long. I, I don't yeah. know. It was unclear to me. Um, and it may have been that he realized it would be boring there compared to what he does. Yes. Yeah. You know, the rocket pack, the the space helmet faceplate thing, which was oh, really a good effect. Yeah, the space helmet was great. And I loved, I guess it was when he was first getting the uh, object, just the way he was sliding across things. All right. And... So the opening credits, uh, which song were they playing at that point? I forget. It wasn't hooked on a feeling. It was, um, you're in love? No, no. Uh, it says in the one from the, the thing you've got over there on what the yeah. director had picked. Yeah, because the director had considered hooked on a feeling and then decided not to. What was interesting was that the style of the dancing and stuff like that, the whole bit where he like slides across was Tom Cruise out of, uh, is that Risky Business? Yes. The way he was doing the rock star moves was rock stars of that era. Yes. Um, which I, I just loved. He had the spins in the trench coat and the flare, and he picked up a little animal and was singing at it like the animal was a mic. And yeah, he had all that rock star moves so nicely done. Mm-hmm. I am not seeing in this article where I thought I read that. Well, and you're in the article I thought it was in, but... Come and get your love. That's there what it go. was. That's what it was. And again, some of these I couldn't have named to mm -mm. save my life, but I recognized them. Yes. Oh, Cherry Bomb and a few others. It's like they're, they're catchy tunes that really hold up after a number of decades. Yes. And that whole sequence, again, where you've got... It's almost like a music video. Yeah. You know, as he's doing what I would call the Indiana Jones scene. Yes. Break into the tomb, rob the thing, and things go poorly. Yeah. Um, well, and I liked the little device he had that seemed to be, for lack of a better term, just an uber-powerful magnet or electromagnet. Either a magnet or a gravity well. I couldn't tell which. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the fact they didn't feel the need to explain it, it, it does this, it does what it does. Yeah. You know, he had some gadgets. It's like, how did he get them? How does he afford them? Whatever. Don't know. Curious. Um, but the fact that he's got the the rocket boot sort of attachment things, yeah, it doesn't really fly that well. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of, of careening around. It goes, it builds the character. Well, and going back to the faceplate and the rocket boots, I loved when he saw Gamora floating there and he realized Yondu will come for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It again. It it 
shows how well developed the characters are. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of fun aspects. You know, when they used the little uh, shuttle ships in the in nowhere as ramming devices yes. or whatever, it's like that's clever. And I loved when he took that little mining shuttle thing and basically tore a piece out of one of the enemy ships and dropped himself in it like he was a pilot. Because they're in these mining devices that have no weapons, and they're trying to to help Gamora out, who's getting, you know, shot down from from enemy aircraft essentially. So he's in a shuttle, one of these little pod things, gets into another thing, uses its Waldo arm thingies to go drive the other thing, and still shoots other things down. Yes. And yes. It's like, that's really cool, but that's a little... Oh, it's probably darn near impossible to be using these huge arms, like on a forklift. You know, the forklift's prongs are effectively being used to control the other shuttle. But at the end, they did mention he had an unusual neurology, which may have allowed for this kind of coordination and and stuff. Yeah. Um, You know, there were a lot of things that I thought were fairly inventive, clever, some based on the comics, some original, you know, some of it was just, it translated very well to the movie, and it was a well-done movie in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, you know, and it's interesting because... In the comics, they've made a little bit of a big deal about his guns being special, or his gun being special. Here, they were just blasters. Yeah. They were custom, I guess, unique to him, but you know, anyone could use them, it felt like. Mm-hmm. That, that seemed like a little bit of a missed marketing opportunity. Yeah. But it's one of those that I can definitely see how when, when the higher-ups had seen, this is how the movie is. Let's green light another one. Let's do the cartoon. Let's oh, yeah. let's go with this. It's a fun, oddball set of characters. There's a lot you can do with it. It's working well in the comics. Well, so keep going with it. The characters have good hearts and depth, I guess is the word I want. There's a lot to each of these characters. So you can understand how they would have more adventures that you'd mm-hmm. want to go watch. It's hard to imagine them not having more adventures. Yes. You know, and there's a certain they can't help themselves, they are who they are aspect. You know, Rocket is a little bit incorrigible in many respects. You know, the only one that I don't think would go and get into trouble if left alone probably be Groot. Well, I don't know. At the moment, Groot has the problem of being stuck in a pot. I love the end scene where he's dancing to the music or whatever and stuff. It's like... That's some good CG right there. Well, what I loved about that is that he was dancing whenever Drax wasn't looking. Yeah. And and with facing away from Drax, he could tell when Drax would look at him and freeze. It's like yes. it, was, it was fun. There's a sensibility about this that looking at the end credits, the animation section or whatever, I mean, there was an army of animators on this. Oh, my word. I was amazed how many names flew by, and I say that knowing that it takes hundreds of people to make a film like this. I'm getting to where I would like, I don't know which guilds would be responsible for making this happen, but there to be a thing at the end of the credits, there needs to be a total number of names count. That'd be nice. you know, Because and- it's staggering. I was very happy to see that uh, no raccoons or... Or tree humanoids or whatever were yeah. injured well, in the process. Yes. Um, 
all the effort they put into it, though, visually, in terms of the space battles, the 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 CG characters, the uh, the mask effect of it going on and off of of Quill's face and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I do not recall a single shot where I was thinking, mm, you know, they could have done that better. Yeah, neither did I. Um, even when the face mask got switched over to Gamora, mm-hmm. it was still beautifully done. And sometimes when they try to switch something like that to a different character for only one scene, it's hard, but they pulled it off. I think they showed with the end credits of, of doing one scene with Howard the Duck just because they could. Yeah. Um, they, they weren't pulling any punches, you know, and... The effects on the other films from Marvel have been top-notch. This, I think, was was that and then some. Mm-hmm. I would be hard-pressed to name any character they've got at the Marvel you know, Comics Library that I don't think they could do flawlessly at this point if they set their mind to it and had this kind of caliber talent. Mm-hmm. You know, So that, that opens up all sorts of doors in terms of what do they want to do next. Now, my understanding is the Marvel plan is like one new film and one let's go back and and do a sequel sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that stays the plan or not, they've got a ton of other characters to go explore. Well, in terms of a sequel to this, they mentioned multiple times how Star-Lord came to be out in space. They have a few references to his father. Do you think they'll pursue his father with the next movie or go I, somewhere else I, I entirely? I think so. In the comics, his father is the head of a, an intergalactic empire and not the nicest of guys. There's a lot of story potential there. And I think, you know, a lot of this was about him, Star-Lord, and his mother's that mm-hmm. relationship as a subplotter backstory. Flip side, him and his father even if he doesn't realize it at first, could be a very good plot line or, or theme for the next. Mm-hmm. You know, Thanos, I think, could or should be involved in some way, shape, or form. Um, and frankly, maybe a little bit more on, on kind of the backstory of how Rocket got to be Rocket. You know, there's... I, I want to see them have another adventure. I want to see them continue some threads, but I want to see them go do something new, fun, and different. Mm-hmm. And not just retread what they did here. And I I think they can. Well, I mean, going back to Drax, they got him to a nice, he's part of the team other than Thanos. He has no mission in life other than to appreciate this team he's part of, Mm -hmm. which was a real interesting place to me to put that character. Well, in the next film, you've got to assume time has elapsed. Mm -hmm. A year, maybe two of their own adventures. How long does it take Groot to grow? Not long, based on what we saw at the end. True. I would imagine that by the time we see them, they are more of a well-oiled machine or ready to kill each other or both. I would expect both, honestly. Yeah, and it it gives them, we've assembled the team, now we can just adventure. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, again... Half the film was just getting to know the characters. And again, fun, well worth doing. Oh, yeah. But imagine what kind of story they could tell if they had two hours with all of that as backstory and out of the way. Mm-hmm. Recap it a little during the opening credits if you feel you need to, but then just go full force into whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, another one of the Infinity Gems or, or what have you. There's There's a lot they could do, and I would like to see... Uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. You know, I, at this point... I don't know that I would say this was the best of all the Marvel movies. I still think um, that uh, 
probably uh, the second Captain America one. He's mm-hmm. a little above this. Mm-hmm. And arguably, the uh, maybe the second Iron Man is up there, too. Yeah, I can N- see that. None of them have been bad. Oh, exactly. Well, and that's, yeah, that's certainly what I was going to say. You know, this one was by no means bad. There were a few moments where I was sitting there thinking I expected more somehow, and I don't know what more I wanted. It's interesting you say that because one of the comments I'd heard around the office is that you needed to see Guardians of the Galaxy twice because you would be laughing so much you would miss some of the lines of dialogue. Really? And I thought, you know, this is funny. This is humorous. This mm-hmm. is good. Never once felt I missed a line. No, I I enjoyed the humor. Don't get me wrong. And there were some parts where I kind of wanted to elbow you with the, okay, now that was really funny. You were laughing appropriately, weren't you? You know. Yeah, there were a couple that just out of the blue, it's like, okay, I didn't see that coming and I should have. Or it was, just, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. humorous. I'm looking forward to rewatching it when we get the, the Blu-ray. Yeah. But laugh a minute, oh my God, I've missed lines of dialogue. Maybe this coworker had just seen it in a much more crowded theater. We caught a five o'clock on a Wednesday showing, so I had to leave early, uh, work a little early to get to the theater on time. And there were four other people. Yeah, there were only four other people there. And on the one hand, it's fun seeing a film with a crowd, getting the audience reaction and whatnot. On the other hand, I'm there for the film, not the crowd. Well, and I actually had a really funny feeling several times during the movie, and it, it was this odd deja vu, and I could not figure out what was happening. And finally, there was this one scene, and I realized this was in a video game they were previewing at Comic-Con. Oh, that's funny. And I was trying to figure out, why do I feel like I've seen this location before? And why do I feel like the ship is about to do this, that, or the other? And it's because it was in the game. Yeah. There is that and, risk when you get a little too um, too much knowledge of some of the peripheral material around some of the stuff. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it was some, I don't even know what the Marvel game was because I was just standing by the Marvel booth while a little kid was playing it. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to one of the Marvel reps at the time and just seeing it on the screen and not aware of what I was seeing per se. So I don't know exactly what it was, but it was very strange to suddenly realize, oh, wait, that's in a video game. Now, we're usually pretty good and don't talk during movies, but there was the one point where we see one of the Nova guys. Oh, yes. And I you're had, like, who is that? I had to elbow you and ask you to tell me, tell me who he is. It'll drive me nuts if you don't. It was, it was the guy, it was uh, Sharif Atkins who yeah. plays um, Jones Jones in White Collar. Yeah. And at first it's like, he's in a suit, he's a cop, he's part of an t- ensemble cop show on TV. It's, it's not it, Numbers, that was a different guy. Yeah, was, exactly. Uh, Alamy Bell, uh, Bell uh, yes. uh, forgetting his name, another great actor. Um, but no, this was this guy. And again, well used. He's on screen for not long. Not long, but he's in two or three different scenes, I think. He's well used. And yeah. I mean, I don't think there were any throwaway characters in this, even mm-hmm. if there were some that didn't get a lot of screen time or didn't add much. The only one I think was throwaway was the girl who was on the ship at the beginning. Mm. Which, yeah, I forgot you were on here. And she's like just magically gone after that. Mm-hmm. That That was a little weird. Or was that who he was talking with on the bridge when we first see him on uh, on Xandar, the the Nova planet? Mm-hmm. I think it was, actually. It was that would explain, I just wasn't paying enough yeah, attention. Yeah, it was the same girl. Yeah. But then she disappeared. Well, she stormed off because he was him. Oh, you know, okay. Star-Lord is Star-Lord. 
again, they, they do fun stuff. I, I'm looking forward to rewatching this mm-hmm. on, on the Blu-ray uh, where we can, you know, replay a few things, go through maybe the collector's place a little slower and just, just see what there is. Um, it's a fun film in general. Karen Gillan, who played Nebula, was Amy Pond on Doctor Who. She did a good job. She did. Very different role here. Very different attitude. No way you would confuse the two characters whatsoever. Um, well, and it's funny because I was telling you over there that uh, the the makeup of Nebula is entirely different and yet reminded me vaguely of Seven of Nine. Yeah, there is that aspect to the character in the comics, too. Yeah, and I just found that kind of interesting, a kind of a chicken and egg. I wondered which came first and sort of a how how'd that happen? Yeah. She 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 did well. Um I'm trying to think who else. Glenn Close as uh the Nova Prime or whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, surprising to get an actress of that caliber in that kind of a role. Mm-hmm. But it shows that there is no stigma in being in, in comic book films these days. None exactly. whatsoever. It's actually getting to be a fairly sought after sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were looking at IMDb, and the guy who played uh, uh, Ronan's number two. I Ronan's guess. number two. I'm for, uh, forgetting his name. Started with a K. Um, it really it was it was a little sad. I guess is the word I want to use. Uh, black actor has a son. Son's big in the comics, uh, and basically, according to this IMDb trivia thing. Was saying, it told his dad one day, hey, he wants to be light-skinned so he could be a superhero like Batman or Superman or Iron Man or Ca- Batman, Spider-Man or Iron Man or whatever. And it's like, you know, that's just wrong. Yeah. And it, it also points out in the IMDb thing that there's Miles Morales, who's now, you know, a non-white guy as a Spider-Man or whatever. And I love how comics have managed to get realistically diverse without being token characters mm-hmm. and getting a lot of these, you know, uh, again, Falcon in Captain America 2, great character. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, America is a melting pot. We need more characters of different types just to where they don't all look like, okay, it's rich white guys who are geniuses that are heroes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. There was a post on Facebook the other day. A man had to take his daughter out to get a school uniform. And there were a few stores that sold the uniform pieces. But there was one that had it in a fitted style that looked better. And his daughter really wanted to get there, as did her friend. But they were nervous to go in the store because it was Abercrombie and Fitch, Mm. which has the we don't sell to unattractive customers policy. That's an actual policy. That's an actual, the CEO has said it out loud in interviews. That's that's amazing. So the man who had, you know, never shopped there before and didn't really know about this, you know, took his daughter and her friend and they went and he could tell they were nervous while they were shopping, but he thought it was just girls being girls shopping. And when they came out of the store, having successfully bought their uniforms, they burst into tears. And he asked them what's wrong, and they said, oh, no, we're relieved. They didn't throw us out. They let us buy something. We aren't ugly. That's not the kind of corporate culture I would want to deal with in any way, shape, or form. That's not the world I want to live in. That, too. Well, and again, I think Marvel, DC, and a lot of these other publishers are doing well in in representing more different types of people. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that Patton Oswalt joined, uh, at least at the end of last season, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. He's 
not the tallest of guys, doesn't have the same sort of a six-pack a lot of these characters uh, tend to have. Um, he, he's, he's a regular guy. Yeah. He's also a huge comic nerd. It's like, I, I think that's cool, too. Um, and apparently Chris Pratt had to lose, not had to, opted to lose 60 pounds and, and get the, the six-pack. And, and the director was like, you know, if we need to CG that, I guess we can. He's like, no, no, give me time. Like, okay, that's cool, I guess. I, I, I You would need to give me a lot of time to, yeah. to, to get in that sort of shape. Um, but, again, showing diverse characters. And I loved how on Xandar, in most of the places we saw, there were people of all different colors. It was a very mm-hmm. melting pot planet. The blue culture. skin, the pink skin. Yeah, I loved it. You know, and it's not something that just, ooh, you know, uh, there's your token alien or, wow, they look really funny. They've got the ridges on the forehead or the nose this time. You know, Star Trek, it's a little bit of a bad rap that way. But this this felt like uh, the makeup department really mm-hmm. earned their keep. Yeah. Um, and again, the, the makeup on um, Drax and Gamora and, mm-hmm. and Nebula, for that matter. Phenomenal. Drax, Drax was amazing. Yeah. You know, I... I want to say it was full torso tattoos, but I don't think that's an apt description of the reddish ridges. I don't know what to describe. That's probably the best way. I mean, it's, it's yeah. But um, it was elaborate and well done. Yeah. Again, there was at no point where I thought, geez, that effect, uh, makeup effect or whatever could have or should have been done better. Um, They, they, they knocked this one out of the park. Mm-hmm. I went into this movie expecting a visual feast, mm-hmm. and I got it. I expected good visuals, fun, lighthearted uh, space romp action adventure and stuff. Yeah, the first two or three minutes had me really worried I wasn't going to get that. Yeah, with the, the they're on the planet, the mo- uh, on Earth, Ye- mom's dying. and Yeah. Yeah. Boy, the first two or three minutes, I was like, wow, did I walk into the wrong theater for a space romp? I was not worried about that. I knew that part of his backstory. See, that's where reading the comic books gives you the advantage. I keep telling you you ought to read this stuff. It was it was a better uh, sci-fi film than I was expecting. It was not the, you're going to miss every other line of dialogue because you're laughing so hard. But it was genuinely funny, humorous, mm-hmm. and entertaining. It was lighthearted in all the right places. Yeah. It had a, a unique sensibility and style to it. It didn't feel derivative. It's not, this is Marvel Star Wars. I mean, that's a high-level description, but it's mm-hmm. all, it, there's more to it. Yeah. So. Well, and uh, Quill calls himself Star-Lord, and that's kind of the running gag early in the movie, especially when... Nova- when the Nova guy is like, yeah, he, the, well, who calls him that? Well, mainly himself. Yeah, that was priceless. But then... Fairly late in the movie, he runs into uh, Ronan's number two, and he looks at him and says, Star-Lord, and he says, finally! Yes, he, he gets the name recognition. There's a, a validation there. It's it's fun. I have arrived! And at that point, he had. Yes, yes. Um, I'm, again, curious what they're going to do next. I'm not sure what the next Marvel movie is. Uh, it's funny because when we're at the theater, I'm like looking at the marquees and it's like, Lucy, that one looks good. That's mm-hmm. um, Scarlett Johansson who played Black Widow has action film that looks fun. There's the the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. There's uh, Hercules. There's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't know how many, if any of these, we're going to make it to the theater for, but at some point we'll pick up the DVD or the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we've talked about a number of other things we may do reviews on. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
So if, if listeners have thoughts, have suggestions, post on the forum, email us, let us know. Uh, these are fun to do. It takes a little bit of time, but uh, I, I enjoy it. It's, you know, fun to go watch a movie and then go talk about it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that's it. Cool. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.